The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. We are live from Davos and the World Economic Forum and, of course, London. I'm Jeff Cutler. Yeah, we're nearly there, aren't we? Uh, I'm Steve Sedgwick, and uh, these are your headlines. So, a big focus uh, on Japanese inflation surging to a 41-year high of 4% in December, double the BOJ's target as the central bank sticks to its ultra-easy policy. We will hear from Governor Haruhiko Kuroda on the Global Economic Outlook panel at 11 Central European time. Well, we've been speaking to the great and the good, and I had a chat with the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, who told me he doesn't believe that America's Inflation Reduction Act was designed to hurt Europe, but says it does have potential implications for the bloc. It is positive that the US is now closing that gap on Paris. Uh, so that, uh, and, and we have always asked for that, but okay, there, is, there could be unintended consequences also for European businesses. So those have to be addressed. US equity is tracked towards uh, weekly losses as uncertainty over the Fed's path weighs on sentiment while topping the agenda among key executives here at Davos. We were on a 75 basis point track. We then quickly moved to 50. The talk for next, I think it's next week, right, February 1st or something is 25. I could see them doing 25 followed by 25 followed by pause. I actually think rates will probably go higher than 5%. Higher than 5%. That's my own view because I think there's a lot of underlying inflation which won't go away so quick. And climate activist Greta Thunberg tells CNBC that Davos decision makers are not prioritizing climate crisis and more public pressure is needed to hold leaders to account. They will continue to invest in fossil fuels. They will continue to to throw people under the bus for their own gain. Um, so I believe that the changes we need right now needs to happen uh, on the outside. And I'm Juliana Tattlebaum. Also coming up on the program, crypto lender Genesis officially files for bankruptcy with liabilities of up to $11 billion, the latest domino to fall in the wake of the FTX collapse. Very warm welcome, everybody, back doing? to the World Economic Forum. Actually, I'm really doing well. You know, yesterday was um, quite a busy day, I think. <laughs> you had a very busy day. I think we had a busy day, yeah, to say the least. So you did that terrific panel with uh, Greta Thunberg, uh, and um, uh, you had Fatih Birol on there, well, and it was a very, very interesting, uh, very interesting panel, I thought. I think the fact that you had the boss of the IEA yeah. and the most famous climate activism in the world on the same, yeah. I think that was the key point. But we can talk about that later yeah, on. But- yeah, no, but I, what I thought was, you know, Davos gets a lot of criticism, um, probably probably justly in yep. some quarters yep. for being perceived as elitist or the 1% and so on and so totally. forth. But the fact that finally we hopefully have moved a little beyond the megaphone diplomacy of both sides in this story to a certain extent. I mean, ho- hopefully um, that's a step forward. And the other thing, you know, bumped into so many people here who just wanted to say how much they love watching the program in the morning. Oh, so you. if you are watching here at the World Economic Forum, a very good morning to you and hope you have a good day ahead. And if you're watching anywhere else in the world, of course, the same message. Yeah. So look, I, I did have a busy afternoon as well. I yeah. managed to, and we'll do this later on. But I spoke to a couple of uh, European leaders and it was fascinating. I also spoke to the highest representative yeah. of the British government here as well. 
But you, and I know we're going to be teasing it throughout the show, your, your kind of job isn't over when this show ends because no. I, I don't he's a very modest man, but he's got the biggest <laughs> panel of the whole of Davos uh, at around about, what is it, 11 CET today as yes. well. I mean, I, I know we're going to tease it in a bit, yeah. but, but there are so many important people on that panel, including Haruhiko Kuroda. Now, we'll be teasing this at the end, but what, a, what an amazing opportunity we have as journalists to see the story, Japanese consumer inflation at 41 year high. You're going to do that in a moment. Yeah. But you're also going to be speaking to the most important man involved in that story, which is Haruhiko Kuroda. So yeah. how lucky are we? I mean, in many ways. I know we've had to drag out our week right to the end, but yes. even so. Well, almost everybody on this panel has um, delivered something this week. Yeah. And we'll talk a bit about that. Let me just mention the, yeah, the, the, the core consumer inflation number then from <laughs> Japan, uh, surging to a 41-year high in December, coming in at 4% on the year. That is the ninth straight month it has exceeded the central bank's target rate of 2%. It could trigger the BOJ to lift interest rates from negative territory, although there are fears wages may not rise enough to offset a hit to consumption. After December, services prices rose just 0.8%, while goods prices jumped more than 7%. And uh, just on that um, timing of that uh, panel, uh, we're going to cap off the whole week of our coverage later this morning. Uh, I'll be moderating the Global Economic Outlook uh, on that panel. The IMF's Kristalina Gorgieva, who's talked about um, risks uh, of, of, of economies moving further apart. Uh, Christine Lagarde, who is going to stay the course, the lady's not for turning, to borrow a phrase from another strong woman from recent history. Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Kuroda, of course, who you mentioned, who um, has talked a lot this week to everybody about the direction of yield curve control and interest rates. We'll see what he has to say to us on the panel. The French finance minister, uh, Bruno Le Maire, who's been very much in the middle of the IRA story. Uh, what's happening with the Inflation Reduction Act and how is Europe going to respond? And former US Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, who I hear could be softening to the idea of a soft landing. I mean, wow. he, he's always said that he thinks that we're going to have um, high, in, high unemployment as a result of rising interest rates. But I hear, we'll find out whether it's true, but I hear even he thinks maybe, just maybe, this could be a soft and shallow recession, if a recession. So 11 o'clock for the panel. Yeah, the only thing I will say about that <clears throat> from Summers and from a lot of others is that people are backtracking on their worst possible scenarios now uh, for the US economy and the global economy. And I think that's very interesting as well. And it actually shows me people really, really haven't got a clue how 2023 is going to pan out. It's funny because I was talking to one policymaker uh, and he misunderstood what I was saying. And he would say, because I was trying to say yes, but no. of course the risks for the second half of the year are, are, are actually higher according to what people have been saying to me. And he was like, yeah, no, I agree with you. In the second half of the year, it's going to be better. But right. the first half of the year is what we've got to worry about. So some people are worried about the first half. Yes. Others are worried about the second half. Some are worried about recession, some about inflation, some about war, some about climate. And, and I think this fragmentation story that you mentioned there is absolutely key. I think, the, and we've seen it in the schizophrenia of the markets the mm. last few sessions as well. People really, I think they're more uncertain going into 2023, the early stages of this year, than they have been for a very long time. And not uncertain because they know what the risk is mm. and they want to calculate that. It's because there are multiple risks mm. and they don't know where to look. But the one thing I will say is, having said all that, 
everybody's looking at a slightly more benign scenario at the moment. Yeah, I, I think this um, this last 12 months has been a year where a lot of people have had to learn some humility. Oh my goodness. We, we came into 2022, obviously, with the prevailing message from just about everybody on, the, on their dog. Um, it's transitory inflation. Don't lose your heads. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be sticky. And then through the third quarter of the year, it started to become a little bit of, well, you know, maybe we got this call wrong. Now Team Transitory is kind of out there again saying, well, we just got the timing wrong. But Folks in financial markets, getting the timing wrong is as bad as getting it wrong. Uh, well, we just got it wrong by five years. Um, I'll just for team transitory, just a little one for you. Energy prices are up 15.2% in that latest Japanese print as well, which added to it being 4%, which is the fastest since 1981. Yeah. Excluding energy, yeah, okay, because you yeah. transitory people think it's all about energy and supply chains excluding energy and by the way the supply chains are back for you transitory people it's still three percent which is still a 30-year high if only we'd spoken to some global leaders here oh. about what happens next wouldn't that have been handy we have potentially spoken to one or two do you think people get bored of our double act i don't know maybe just I me. Hope not. maybe it's just me they're bored of well, anyway <laughs> two ronnie's had a good career they did yeah, yeah. Not to them. uh we've spoken to leaders from all over the uh european continent all over the world at the world economic forum uh, about the American uh, Inflation Reduction Act primarily as well. It featured highly in every conversation. I um, had a great chat with a man I, I do always enjoy speaking to, I've got to be honest, Mark Rutte, who is the Dutch Prime Minister, uh, of why it's making such a stir amongst the bloc's politicians and why Europe doesn't simply enact its own version rather than worrying about what the US is up to. Let's listen in. Yeah, so first of all, it is positive that the U.S. is now uh, closing that gap on pairs. Uh, so that, uh, and, and we have always asked for that. But okay, there, is, there could be unintended consequences also for European businesses. So those have to be addressed. Uh, by the way, in Europe, you're doing a lot. My country is investing 35 billion euros between now and 2030 on the energy transition and climate change fighting. So we are doing massive stuff. We have to look at state aid rules. That's, that's logical. We also have to look at how can we disburse money from the state to companies, maybe not through the traditional subsidy systems, which can take too long, but maybe making use of the national tax uh, code. Uh, those are the types of things we have to look at. Oh, and, and, and again, uh, about state aid rules, not throwing them out completely, but looking targeted what is necessary uh, to support also European industries, but from a position of strength. And, and I sometimes feel in Europe that we are a bit yeah, thinking, oh, the US and what are they doing? No, yes. uh, we, are, we, are, we are bigger than the US. The internal market of the European Union is bigger than the United States. I'm going to steal two more questions with you. I know that the directors have just told me one more, but I'm going to take two because you've just triggered an idea in my head that I've had so many CEOs here saying Europe needs to have a bonfire of red tape. We need to have a better attitude to invent innovation. I've heard the talk from Monsieur Macron. I've heard the talk from European politicians, but CEO after CEO of amazing European companies, amazing European companies. And I'll just name a few. Novartis, uh, Vestas, uh, Bayer. They Total. Keep, Total. They keep, uh, but Mr. Puyonet, they keep no. telling me Europe has to move quicker on innovation, not just turn it into some great idea, but into reality that makes it easier no. for European business to grow in Europe, not no, elsewhere. Absolutely. Why, Mark? Why are we to. having the same conversation? And they want to, and, and, and the bonfire has not started yet, but we are making progress. It is not easy. By the way, I would say to these companies, go to the US. The US is not entirely without red tape. <laughs> mm. There is some bureaucracy on the US side also, so don't think that the grass is greener there no. than it is here. But obviously, we have to work. I'm listening to the CEOs, to Mark. It's not me talking. No. 
but there's also the CEOs putting pressure on the Europeans uh, and then put, bringing the fight to the US. So I'm that's just, also con- I'm just conduit for it. I don't understand that. <laughs> but even uh, w- while saying that, there is still an argument why in Europe we have to fight the bureaucracy. I agree with them. Bringing up innovation, but we have the best universities in the world. We have the best innovation in the world. Uh, companies like ASML, uh, ASMI in the Netherlands, the, the yeah. big uh, industrial clusters in Germany, France, Belgium, are testimony to that. We can talk a bit more about that later on, but it's just so frustrating when you see these amazing companies, <clears throat> politicians who seemingly want to do the right thing, but it just doesn't seem to happen in Europe time and time again. Now, look, talks over the Northern Ireland uh, protocol uh, are continuing. These are very, very important. I called up with the uh, Taoiseach of Ireland, Leo Varadkar, and asked him uh, how discussions were going and whether tensions had just calmed down a bit post-Brexit. I think there's been a concerted effort on all sides uh, to create the right conditions and the right environment in which um, an agreement can be made. Um, It should never be about winners and losers. It should be about an outcome that works for, uh, above all, people and businesses in Northern Ireland, but also, of course, for Ireland and and Britain too. Um, You know, one thing I I should say is we shouldn't forget what the objective of the protocol was. Um, uh, Brexit disrupted relations between Britain and the EU and disrupted uh, relations on the island of Ireland. The protocol was about making sure there's no hard border between North and South, and there isn't. And it was about making sure that the integrity of the single market was protected and it has. And also the Northern Ireland economy is outperforming the rest of the UK economy at the moment. So there are a lot of positives to the protocol, but a huge difficulty has been the fact that there um, uh, are new barriers to trade between Britain and Northern Ireland, which is causing a difficulty for businesses. And also the fact that um, uh, the Unist parties, um, which don't make up a majority anymore in Northern Ireland, but are still uh, extremely important, and that they aren't able to accept the protocol uh, in its current form. Um, and while it isn't always possible to achieve, uh, ideally, we would like to have both communities supporting uh, any solution. Okay, right. Well, let's just hope we get into the tunnel soon, sir. Look, um, you mentioned the possibility of recession in Europe and globally. It's something that's dominating a lot of the conversations uh, here in Davos as well. The Irish growth last year was quite extraordinary. I think I think you're potentially looking at when we get the final fourth quarter figures, some in the region of 11-12% possibly as well. There is going to be a slowdown this year, but it doesn't look like necessarily Ireland's going to go into recession. But it's, it's better for me to ask you what you think about the economic outlook. Um, well, we built our budget for next year based on certain assumptions, uh, you know, inflation being in around 7% uh, and very slow growth. Uh, now, we don't just use GDP because that can be quite distorted in Ireland because of the presence of uh, many large companies. We tend to use some other measures like GNI Star and modified domestic demand. And using those figures, uh, we don't expect to go into recession. Um, but we do think that there will be uh, moderate growth, um, you know, maybe half of 1%, 1%. Uh, but crucially, the jobs market is still very strong. Yeah. We're, we're close to full employment. Um, but even though we're not going to go into recession, um, uh, people in Ireland are feeling the pinch. Um, yeah. Prices are rising and prices are rising faster than incomes are. Um, and people are really hurting because of that. And thankfully, one of the things we can do as a government, because uh, our public finances are in a good state, is we can help people with energy bills, with pensions, with welfare increases, uh, reduced income taxes, reduce the cost of childcare just in the last few weeks. Leo Varadkar there. Well, the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak chose not to attend the World Economic Forum. Opposition leader Keir Starmer was part of the official programme speaking on a panel hosted by CNBC about Sunak's choice not to attend, while I also asked Business Secretary Grant Shapps 
Um, well, you know, I didn't ask uh, Grant Shapps about that. Steve asked Grant Shapps about that decision. And the panel wasn't specifically about Rishi Sunak's decision no, not to attend. So, in fact, none of that read really, really worked, not, did, did it? Didn't get subbed, but, did it? Didn't get subbed. But, but um, it was a, <laughs> I, I did watch the panel and I thought it was very interesting what um, the uh, official leader of the Labour opposition had to say about oil and gas companies. Yes. Because apparently Labour is not supportive of uh, setting up any further or allowing the development of any further oil and gas fields if it comes into power. Mm. But he did seem to backtrack on the idea that the Labour Party would nationalise the en- parts of the energy sector. So that seemed to be a slightly different message here for this uh, community. Well, Jamana uh, is set to host a panel later today on what's next for monetary policy as the World Economic Forum identifies the cost of living crisis as the world's biggest short-term risk. Don't miss that conversation. That's nine central European time. Right. Well, do you know what the good news is? We can actually play out some of that Keir Starmer tape now. So okay. let's listen in to the leader of the opposition in the UK. Our Prime Minister should have showed up at <laughs> Dallas. I absolutely do. Um, and one of the things that's been, um, you know, impressed on me since I've been here is the absence of the United Kingdom. And that's why it's really important that um, I'm here and that our Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves is here as a statement of intent that should there be a change of government, and I hope there will be, um, the United Kingdom will play its part on the global stage in a way I think it probably hasn't in recent years. Look, I'm not saying the Prime Minister's never going to attend Davos again. It may well come uh, another year. But right now, you know, in the midst of the energy crisis caused by Ukraine uh, being invaded by Putin, uh, with all of the trauma that we've gone through with uh, COVID and much else, you know, he is at home focusing as a brand new Prime Minister, by the yeah. way, two, three months into the job, on the domestic priorities. I'm here because I'm actually, technically, if you like, the right person to have in Davos. I did, uh, I, did, I did do a topical joke with Grant Shapps. Right. So basically, cut a very long story short, there's a picture doing rounds of him <clears throat> where he's airbrushed out the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Yes. So his response back, and I think he said oh. it at a lunch you were at, was basically, no, or, I, I didn't mean to airbrush Boris Johnson out. I meant to, he needed a hairbrush. Oh, a hairbrush. <laughs> so oh, of good. course, so when, when he turns up here, very much oh. I've never met the bloke, I said, I said, I would ask for a photo, uh, Secretary of State, but you're only going to airbrush me out. Oh, nice. Very good. He got yeah. it. He liked it. Well, yeah, he, yeah, I think he's probably had a decent Davos. I mean, uh, I went to the British Business Lunch and he gave uh, the keynote yeah. speech. Uh, and and funny, the speech the speech was uh, on the record, but a lot of it was Chatham House rules. But I'm not sure if the fact that he did a Boris Johnson impression was Chatham House rules are on the record but I think we've just made it on the record well, I think we just did yeah. but he did a very good impression if spitting image needs someone to do the voicing then they know where to look uh, the Fed's vice chair Lael Brainard says the chances of a soft landing are rising as the central bank searches for the right rate to tame inflation without hitting employment it's possible that a continued moderation uh, in output could facilitate continued easing in the labor market and reduction in inflation without a significant loss of employment. Inflation remains high and policy is going to need to remain sufficiently restrictive for some time to make sure it gets down 2% on a sustained basis. Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman told CNBC he does not see the Fed cutting rates anytime soon. We were on a 75 basis point track. We then quickly moved to 50. The talk for next, I think it's next week, right? February 1st or something is 25. I could see them doing 25 followed by 25 followed by pause. I mean, that's not implausible. What I don't see is them cutting. 
right? right? Because that's really playing with fire to, to have done what we've done with rates, taken them up to where, and then turn that quickly to a cut. I think you've got to let this thing settle. And JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon told us he sees rates continuing on their path and is ready for a recession. The way we run the company is to serve clients day in and day out through thick or thin. I know there are going to be recessions, up, downs, and downs. I really don't spend that much time worrying about it. I do worry about poor public policy that damages American growth. I worry about a lot of stuff, but not about whether, you know, what the weather's going to be like. And of course, you know, I don't want a recession because it hurts average Americans. I'm not for it, but I have to be prepared for it. I actually think rates will probably go higher than 5%. Higher than 5%. That's my own view because I think there's a lot of underlying inflation which won't go away so quick. Uh, Jamie Dimon was given $34.5 million in total compensation for 2022, according to a regulatory filing. That includes a base pay of $1.5 million, with the rest made up by performance-related incentive pay. JP Morgan said it has committed to not giving Dimon any special pay awards in the future, after investor criticism of his $50 million retention bonus last year. Have you seen the temperature this morning? Um, I, I was just thinking he's not going to have to worry too much about the performance of his 401k, is he? Not too given, much, no. uh, Given, given no, the compensation. Fine. Do you know what temperature is? Uh, it, is it cold? Minus 16. Okay. Minus Any feeling? Feeling good. Digits? Okay. Digits are good, yeah. Oh, okay. But I'm here in the, in the studio. It's a balmy 20. Wow. Is that right, Juliana? Uh, Steve, it's probably close to 20 here. The the one perk of watching from afar, I would say. I hope you guys are staying warm. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come up on uh, come back from the break, we're going to be talking Netflix. Holiday binge-watching leads the company to subscriber growth much higher with the streamer beating Wall Street expectations in the fourth quarter. We'll have more after the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back to the program. Crypto lender Genesis has officially filed for bankruptcy, listing over 100,000 creditors. The company, the latest casualty of the fallout caused by FTX's collapse, says aggregate liabilities range between $1.2 and $11 billion. The bankruptcy filing comes just days after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charged both Genesis and Gemini with selling unregistered securities. FTX's new CEO, John Ray, says he is looking into restarting the bankrupt's uh, crypto exchange. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal, Ray said reviving the exchange could allow the company to recover more assets and return more money to customers than if it liquidated or sold the platform. FTX's former CEO and co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried welcomed the news and renewed his claims that the company is in fact solvent. Bankman-Fried is under house arrest in California while he awaits trial on multiple fraud charges. Shares of Netflix surged in extended trade after the company beat expectations for fourth quarter subscriber growth. The streamer reported 7.6 million new subscriber additions, way above the Wall Street forecast of 4.5 million. 
This marks the first quarter that Netflix's new ad-supported service was included in the overall earnings. The company, however, did disappoint on earnings per share. Revenue was in line with analyst expectations. That's not all. Netflix also announced co-founder Reed Hastings will step down as CEO and become the group's executive chairman. His longtime business partner and co-CEO Ted Sarandos will take over at the helm alongside Chief Operating Officer Greg Peters. Speaking on the company's earnings call, Hastings praised both executives, saying the timing was right for them to take over. I couldn't be happier to complete our succession process. Um, it really started about 10 years ago with the board, um, trying to think through um, how could this work. They both have uh, such amazing uh, talents and gifts, and to find a platform um, where they've been able to contribute is, is uh, fantastic. All right. Well, let's get a check on markets. The U.S. equities had a, another down session, all three of the majors ending lower the third day in a row for the Dow and the S&P. Earlier in the week, we did see some outperformance of the tech-heavy Nasdaq. Now that index trading uh, a little bit weaker than the other two majors. So Dow Jones losing about 250 points, S&P dropping about eight-tenths of a percent, and that tech-heavy Nasdaq falling one percent. We got some fresh commentary out of Fed Governor Lil Brainerd, who said that they that high rates are ahead, even with progress on inflation. So investors thinking about the prospect of further rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, even as there are warning signs on the economic front, those disappointing retail sales numbers earlier in the week, and the downbeat commentary out of a number of the key banking heads. On a week-to-date basis, U.S. equities are sharply lower. You've got the Nasdaq, as I mentioned, holding up better than the rest of the market, down just 2%. In contrast to the Dow Jones, down 3.7%. We did have that massive pullback in Goldman Sachs after they uh, delivered a disappointing set of earnings, and they're going through with uh, several, um, to say the least, layoffs. So that was a a key uh, weight on the Dow Jones. S&P 500 down about 2.5% week-to-date. Dollar crosses. Let's take a look at how the greenback has been holding up. You've got dollar yen trading higher this morning, 129. So the yen back on the downtrend. That Bank of Japan has been firmly in focus this week. And overnight, we got some more data out of Japan. Consumer inflation hitting a fresh 41-year high. So keeping that BOJ firmly in focus and causing a lot of speculators to wonder whether the Bank of Japan will have to make a change to its policy in the coming weeks and months. Now, sterling trading on the back foot versus the dollar down 11 basis points, 123.75. Euro holding pretty steady versus the dollar at 108.31. Moving on to oil markets, we have seen oil move higher over the last 24 hours. A lot of that seems to be on the back of optimism around China and the reopening there. This, as China says, the COVID outbreak is easing on the eve of a major travel rush expected, the Chinese Lunar New Year coming up. Um, Still, of course, many COVID concerns there, but we are seeing uh, strong demand for oil this morning. WTI trading two-tenths of a percent higher, $80 a barrel. Brent trading about four-tenths of a percent higher to eighty-six fifty. As for Europe, the opening calls suggest we are in for a positive start. So taking um, a, a leg higher despite the negative close on Wall Street. FTSE MIB uh, indicating a triple-digit rise at the open. CAC 40, Zetradax, and the FTSE 100 also all looking at a positive start. As for U.S. futures, we've also got a positive st- a start in store there. All three of the majors looking at a rebound. Uh, the Netflix number has definitely seemed to have captured investors' attention, absolutely blowing away expectation uh, with those subscribers numbers. Uh, So perhaps that factoring into the trade this morning. So Wall Street eyeing a positive start. 
Asian markets that are also positive overnight. So setting the stage for this positive start here in Europe. Shanghai Composite trading seven-tenths of a percent higher. Really strong bounce in Hong Kong. Hang Seng up 1.6%. And the Nikkei 225 trading about 0.6% higher. Now, in terms of China, authorities say the country's COVID outbreak is easing, with large numbers of people expected to travel around the country today, as I said, ahead of New Year's celebrations. Vice Premier Sun Chunyan, who is responsible for China's virus response, said the outbreak is at a low level, according to state media, with health officials saying the number of COVID patients has peaked. However, there are doubts around official COVID data, with groups, including the World Health Organization, saying China has been underreporting the scale of the pandemic. Many markets in Asia will be closed for Lunar New Year holidays next week. There will be no trade in mainland Chinese markets all week, while Hong Kong and Taiwan stock exchanges will not start trade until Thursday, and exchanges in South Korea and Singapore will be closed for the first two days of the week. Sam Vadas filed this report. Millions are on the move in China this Lunar New Year after the country dismantled its zero-COVID strategy. It's the first major holiday since quarantine was lifted. Officials and travel platforms expecting tourism to return to 70 to 80 percent of pre-pandemic levels as families jump on trains and planes to have long-awaited reunions. It comes as China says the worst in the fight against COVID is over, as the number of critical cases in hospital has peaked. But there's widespread doubt and scepticism surrounding China's data after the WHO said China was under-reporting cases and has been wanting more reliable and regular information. But China says it's being transparent and timely. The spring festival travel rush is now prompting concerns of a fresh outbreak as people from the big cities, which may have seen their infections peak, head to the countryside. President Xi Jinping says he's worried about the rural communities where the vaccination rate is not as high, particularly among the elderly, and the healthcare system is not as robust. Some experts predict China could face around a million COVID-related deaths this year. UK-based Airfinity says 36,000 people could die each day. It's a situation investors are watching very closely. The Hong Kong markets will be closed on Monday until Wednesday. The mainland China markets, meantime, will be closed all week and will resume trading on Monday the 30th of January. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC. <laughs>